0: Genesis 5 together. And, uh, you know, when Eric came and spoke for us, I got to tell you, man, I'm loving this thing around the back of my neck right here. See, we, uh, we've got these, uh, we got this one that just kind of goes over your ear like this and comes down. It was hilarious. If you guys would have been there on the Sunday that he spoke for us, you would have been dying laughing because for whatever reason, we could not get the thing to fit right over his ear. So I kid you not, the entire time he spoke, it was like flopping around back and forth like this. Finally, did you rip that thing off? I think you, didn't we hand you a microphone? You were like, I am so done with this thing, you know? Because it was, seriously, it was like boom, boom, in and out. He was so aggravated, but he still did a great job and uh And our folks loved him, and we were so excited to hear about what God is doing right here at Mac Avenue Community Church. It was just a thrill to have him with us and uh, we're we 're thrilled to partner with you guys and what you 're doing here in the d and we're we're excited about the days ahead too you know it's it's great to be a part of something where you can get in on the ground floor of what God is doing. You realize that that's what this is right now. Yes, Mack Avenue has been going for a few years now, but still very much so. These are days of infancy for this church. And to see what God is going to do in the years ahead, I mean, I just imagine 10 years from now, the impact that God is going to allow Mack Avenue Community Church to have, not only here in this neighborhood and community, but all over Metro Detroit. It's a fabulous idea in my mind. It really is. And you're a part of that right now. And I want to encourage you to stay a part of it. Plug into it. Become a part of the life of the church. Maybe you're here and you're just checking out the church right now. I'm telling you, as an outsider a friend, but an outsider looking in at what God is doing here, the greatest days of this church are still ahead. okay? And so you guys be a part of it and uh, continue to support the leadership of the congregation here and and, uh, just hang on because it's going to be a great ride as you continue to serve Jesus and to see what God does through you as a community of believers. So let's go to Genesis 5. Uh, together. And I guess, how long have you guys been working your way through Genesis? When did you start Genesis? Do you remember? How many weeks ago? Five weeks? You do, it's been like a chapter a week kind of thing? Okay. So I did Genesis with our church a couple of years ago. We went all the way through the book of Genesis. And uh, it's hilarious because Eric was like, I want you to teach on Genesis. And I was like, Genesis, yes, I love Genesis. I've taught on Genesis before, you know, Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and Noah and the flood and then I go to Genesis 5 and it's like it's a genealogy. I'm like, "What is up with that?" Seriously, the week you the genealogy invites me to come. You didn't want to preach on the genealogy, did you? That's what this is all about, man. He's like, "Come on, Dan. Come on down. I'm giving you this passage, right? Genesis 5." You know, it's like opening up the newspaper of who died last week, right? What is up with that? Seriously. Come on, bro. I mean sheesh. So here I am, I'm up here this morning, and I'm gonna to try to uh no I I'm I'm teasing because honestly, you know, as I as I was reacquainted again this week with, with God's word here in Genesis five, I, I I dug back into the passage again, even though I taught through this a couple of years ago, and God reminded me of some things. But he also brought to light some new ideas and some thoughts that I want to share with you this morning that I hope will be an encouragement to you. Because at the end of the day, even though I said that all in jest, this is God's word for us. And there is much for us here. There is much to learn, and and, uh, I hope we'll all be encouraged for it. Here's the title of the message. If you're taking notes, why don't you write this down, okay? It's called Reasons for Hope Within the Realities That We Face. Reasons for Hope Within the Realities That We Face. Of course, in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, you were introduced to the story of creation, and we, uh, together as a congregation, are, you, are we giving out Bibles, by the way, or pens? Oh, okay, cool, cool. you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you need a Bible or a pen, something to write with, we'll be glad to give you one. All right, just lift it real high. Leon's got those for you. Cool. So creation, amazing genius of God on display, Right? I mean, think about what God did. When, when you think about uh, how God created and spoke the world as we know it into existence. And then, of course, we were introduced in Genesis 3 to the tragic event that is known as the fall. And Adam and Eve sinning, disobeying God, and as a result of their choice, they plunged the entire human race into sin because of what they did all the way back in the garden you and i struggle with sin today we are born with this uh, proclivity as it were towards sin it's why it's why we don't ever have to teach our children how to lie did you ever notice that i've never i've never had anybody in my life Teach me how to tell a lie. My parents had to spend a lot of energy through the years teaching me to tell the truth. Why? Because of sin. It's that, it's, it's what's within all of us. And it's because of what Adam and Eve did and we live under that curse. And then of course we learned in Genesis chapter 4 of the story of Cain and Abel and Cain, what a disappointment he became to his parents. In Genesis 4, we found, in fact, would you just flip back there just for a moment as way of review? I'm sure as you studied this, you were reminded of what Eve said in chapter 4, verse 1, where it says, Adam knew his wife, Eve, and she conceived and she bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Now, many theologians believe that that, that statement that she made there was actually a statement of faith looking forward to the Redeemer that was to come. The Redeemer who would be the one who would finally set them free and offer them forgiveness because back in Genesis 3, God gave what is known as the Proto-Evangelium, remember, where He said, I'm going to crush his head, but he will bruise your heel. Of course, that was a reference to what was going to happen in the future with Jesus Christ dying on the cross where Satan bruised his heel, but in the death of Christ on the cross, he literally crushed the serpent's head in that moment, see? That's a beautiful thought, isn't it? That even from the very beginning of time, The unfolding of God's revelation regarding redemption, he's already planting the seeds and he's giving man glimpses of what it's going to be like. And so I think, and and a lot of theologians think, that in chapter 4, verse 1, where Eve says, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord, that she was thinking, this is that Redeemer. That here he is. He's the one. So you can imagine if this is what the parents are thinking, that this is what Cain is going to be, what a disappointment he became to his mom and dad. Because he murdered his brother Abel. And then he buried him. And remember the interaction there between he and God, don't we? God shows up one day and he's like, Hey, where's your brother? And by the way, God wasn't asking that because he needed information. He was asking that because you'll see as you study the word of God, especially in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I love this about Jesus. When he interacts with people, he often interacts with them by forming pointed questions. Did you ever notice that? And that's what God does here. With Cain, he's like, what have you done? Where is he? And what does Cain do? He responds with such arrogance and some sarcasm. He's like, am I my brother's keeper? And of course we know that then Cain was cursed and he began, he had to wander the earth for the rest of his life as a cursed man by God. And then in Genesis chapter 4, look at verse 17 because it says here, this man Cain, it says he knew his wife and she conceived and she bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Arad and Arad fathered Mehuliel and Mehuliel fathered Methuselah. Muthushael, actually, fathered Lamech. Now notice verse 19. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Aha, and the name of the other, Zillah. Ada bore Jabel. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. So agricultural business there. Notice verse 21. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who play the lyre in the pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Nema. Now, that's, that's important, and here's why. Because in just a moment, that is the lineage that God gives us of Cain. And it is, in, it is a significant contrast between the lineage that we're going to find here in just a moment and how God lays it out in, in Genesis chapter 5 of a man named Seth. Because skip down to verse 25. Notice what it says there, that Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son, and she called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born and he called his name Enosh and what? It, here it is interesting phrase at the very end of 26 it says and at that time people began to call on the name of the Lord. That's a beautiful little phrase. It's like hope reinvigorated again. You know? There had been this tragedy in this family. The hopelessness that Adam and Eve must have experienced at this time and the despair they had plunged the human race into sin. They were struggling with their own sinfulness themselves and then their son goes and kills their their other son, kills his own brother. But then God gives a ray of hope. He brings along this boy named Seth and here's why this is significant. Get this. Chapter 5 now is essentially the lineage of this man named Seth. And it stands in marked contrast to the man Cain. The short snippet that we get about his lineage in verse 17 down to verse 22 in chapter 4 is far different than the expose that God gives us much more detail about this man named Seth. In fact, let's read it together, okay, God's Word together. Follow along with me. It'll be up here on the slide, but if you have your Bible, just follow along. Chapter 5, verse 1. I'm going to read all of this one verse after another, and let's listen to what God has to say to us, okay? Verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, He made him in the likeness of God, male and female. He created them. And he blessed them and he named them man when they were created. So remember chapter 5, Seth now, his lineage. And it's interesting that Moses here, who's writing the book of Genesis, gives us once again this reminder to us that God is about blessing his people. He, he hearkens us back, all the way back to the creation account. Remember, over and over again, when God would create, He was like, it's good, and I'm blessing you. God stood back after He was finished with His creative act, and He looks at it all, and He's like, this is a really good thing that I've done here. It's a beautiful thing. That's something important for us to remember. We're reminded of this here in Genesis 5. Renewal of hope. Look at verse 3. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image, and he named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. And When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Man, these people lived a long time. The hilarious thing is is that they were having children like into the hundreds of years old, you know. Hundreds of years old, and they're still having kids. And, uh, man, I think of this brother back here. What is it, four or five? Five? Man, if you lived a few hundred years old, I don't know how many you could end up with. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you guys could just be like, it's awesome, man. I got three, so I'm, I'm not quite there with you, but five, I love you, man. That's awesome. By the way, in all seriousness, this is one of the reasons why, no kidding, why the earth even after the flood, could get repopulated so quickly because people were living for long periods of time and they were having children all along the way. And so the population was able to grow very quickly. And uh, just as a side note here, okay, there are a lot of theories about how it is that these people lived so long. And uh, I'm not a scientist, okay, but I've done some reading on this and, and I can't necessarily speak with any authority, but I can give you one particular theory that's out there. And maybe you've you've read this as well, is that uh, there are some creation scientists who believe that prior to the flood that there was enveloping the earth what was essentially a, a, a canopy, like a vapor canopy. And that vapor canopy is what uh, kept the sun and the radiation from the sun from getting to mankind the way that it gets to us today, which is believed to be the thing that shortens our lifespan. Because after the flood, that all the waters from the deep broke loose, and you'll get it to that here in a couple of weeks, I'm sure, and the rains came down, and many creation scientists believe that that was one of the significant changes that took place that shortened man's lifespan so that we don't live the kind of years that these ancient uh, people lived. You know, And uh, that's something you could study if you wanted to delve into that on your own in the days ahead. It's just one theory that I offer to you there. Let's go on. Let's look at it. Notice what it says in verse... Uh, Verse uh, 12. Is that where I left off? Did I leave off at verse 12? Nine? Okay, pick it up at verse 9. Enish had lived 90 years. He fathered Kenan. Enish lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enish were 905 years and he died. I want you to notice that little refrain at the end. Every time you're going to see it come up over and over again, and he died. You might want to even underline that because I'm going to talk about that here in just a little bit. Look at verse 12. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years and he died. Verse 15. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. And Mihaila lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahalel were 895 years. Help me out. And he died. 18. Jared lived 162 years and he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years. Yeah, he did too. Verse 21. Enoch uh, had lived 65 years. He fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. But wait, verse 24, look at what it says. Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. That is really significant. We're going to come back to it in just a moment, okay? So make note of that verse. It's like a sparkling jewel in the middle of this, and he died, and he died, and he died, and all of a sudden there's this verse about this guy named Enoch. Who was he? We're going to discover that in just a few minutes. Look at verse 25. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years, and he had sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. By the way, there he is, oldest guy in the Bible, 969 years. Right there. Look at verse 28. Uh, When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and he called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. And Noah was 500 years old. Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Okay, that's our food. That's our our spiritual food this morning. Now, let me go back and remind you. Cain, great disappointment, right? Devastated his family, killed his brother. God, though, brings along another son in verse 26 of chapter 4 named Seth. We just read about his lineage. Devastation in the family, destruction, sorrow, hopelessness, despair. But God's not finished with this family. God is going to bring along another son and through him is going to come a man named Enoch, who is described as one who walked with God and coming through Seth will be the man named Noah who was used by God, literally, to save humankind, to build the ark so that mankind could continue to go on after the flood. Hope is what God brings through the line of Seth. And what that tells me is this, loved ones. It tells me, number one, here's the first main thought. Would you write this down? I'll throw it up on the screen for you. God always raises up someone who will do His will and be His voice. God always does that. Cain's lineage, if you remember, look, go back to chapter 4, look at verse 17, and let your eyes just scan down from verse 17 to verse 22. And notice how it is so summarized. Very little information is given. It just says, you know, Cain knew his wife, she conceived, she bore Enoch. And then it says Enoch born Arad in verse 18, Arad fathered Mehujael, and then Methushahel, Lamech, no information about living, dying, no years mentioned, none of that. I think that's significant. It's in direct contrast to Seth's line. Here's why. God was making a point. Seth's line, I think, shows the age of each patriarch at the time of his firstborn, the number of years he lived. Why? Because God is trying to say this. Cain's line is not going to be significant in my economy. He is going to live a cursed life. I am going to raise up this lineage through Seth. And through Seth, all of the earth will be blessed. And in fact, the human race will be saved. God does that in human history, friends. He always raises up someone who will do his will and be his voice. Adam and Eve thought it was Cain, but it wasn't. So he raises up Seth. And Seth is the one who was used. And when I think about this thought, I think about our lives right now. You, right here. Some of you are students. Some of you are professional people and you're working. You're right here living in Detroit, ministering in Detroit. I want to ask you this question. Will you be the one that God raises up and will you be God's voice in your generation today? That's the question that God has for each of us. God has you in Detroit and a church like Mack Avenue Community Church. I believe this with all my heart. It's churches like this that are the hope for the future of Detroit. Churches that are preaching the gospel, that are serious about discipleship, that aren't playing games with people's lives, where the pastors and the leadership of the church are not just out to get rich and make money, but they're, seriously, I'm telling the truth here. What God is doing in this church is unique. This is why we are so fired up about partnering with you guys in ministry because you're serious about discipling people. You're serious about speaking the truth. You're you're serious about the gospel. And that's what we're about as a church. We want to be a part of that. We want to be about that. And if that's happening here in Detroit, we want to be a part of helping see that raised up. But it's about you as a body of believers saying, you know what, as a church, as a congregation, as me as an individual, I want to be that person that God raises up. I want to be His voice. By God's grace, I want to be Seth. Be the one in your city. Be the one in your family. Be the voice of truth. Be the voice of the gospel to your family and your community and your neighborhood. Be the voice of righteousness, my friends. Be the ones who will stand up and speak the truth in love. Let the chips fall where they may and trust God with those results. I believe Seth was this kind of a man. What a lineage he had. It was used by God in a tremendous way and it gives me great hope and that is that God will always raise up someone who will do His will and be His voice. And I don't know about you, but by God's grace, I want to be that kind of person, don't you? Don't you want to be that kind of man on your college campus? A voice of truth, doing God's will, shining brightly for the gospel of Jesus Christ? You can be. You can be. God will give you the courage. You say, but Dan, I don't know what to say sometimes. If I, if I speak up, maybe they're going to fire questions at me that I, I don't know how to answer those questions. Guess what? I've discovered that if you'll just be bold in those moments, the Spirit of God will give you the words to speak. He will bring to mind memory verses that you've read and studied through the years. And you know what? At the end of the day, if you don't know the answer to the question, there's nothing wrong with humbly saying, you know what? I'm really not sure but I will go and try to find that answer for you and get back with you. There's nothing wrong with that. I think most people will respect that kind of an answer. So don't let that be an excuse for not being the light that God has called you to be. Speak the truth, all right? Speak it boldly, but lovingly. Be kind, be gracious, but be that person who will do his will and be his voice. Secondly, this morning, here's the second main thought that I want to share with you. Remember, I'm talking to you this morning about reasons for hope within the realities we face. And I don't know about you, but to me, that is a very hopeful idea that God is raising up people who will do His will and be His voice and that by God's grace, you and I, we can be that person. Amen? Right where God plants us, we can be that person. But here's the second thought this morning, and that is that there are two sides to the human experience, life and death. Life and death. And don't we see that here in this chapter? It's all over it, isn't it? He, they live, they had, you know, life. Think about life. We, we, uh, we have families and we have friends and we go to work and we live in our community and we interact with people and, and we enjoy the arts and, and we, we get to be a part of what God is doing in this world. Life, I'm so thankful for it, aren't you? I mean, it, none of us know how many years we actually have left on earth. I, I have no idea. I mean, today could be my last day. It could be your last day. But I'm so thankful for life. The truth is that the scriptures tells us that God actually knows the number of days that we have before us still. That's all figured out already. That's all planned by God. By the way, that's a really good reason not to fear. Because you're not going to die one day shorter than what God's already got planned for you. That's all in God's hands. And so even as we hear of brothers and sisters struggling with different diseases and and cancers and and battling with these kinds of things, and, and even at times fearing for our lives because of situations that we end up in, listen, at the end of the day, God's in control of all of that. Amen? You see, we can walk by faith and not by sight in that reality that God has it all figured out okay. But we see this in this text that it's like they lived and they died and they had children and they, and they had a heritage. But, but it is true that, that refrain, and we read it together over and over again at the end of those verses, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. It's like a double-edged sword of human experience, isn't it? Life and death. My father died about three years ago and that was the first time anybody in my immediate family passed away. And if you've not experienced somebody in your immediate family passing away and leaving this world behind, um, you can sympathize. But when it happens to you and you experience it, there's no way to express the despair at times that that leaves you feeling is it you know what I mean when you when you lose somebody really close to you and and honestly I I hate that part of the human experience don't you I hate losing people that I have loved and that I've been close to the great truth is that for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ is that if they knew Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there's going to be a great reunion someday. Amen? Amen? Amen. It's going to be a great reunion. But it's a reality we face. In fact, one particular author named Mike Mason said this, quote, This reality of this life and death experience, this two-sided sword, as it were, he says, quote, It is like an unfolding murder mystery in which we ourselves turn out to be the victim. I think he got it right. The brevity of life. Where does time go? It seems like just yesterday I was a college student. And I had graduated. And I met my beautiful wife, Julie. And we had our first child who I was privileged to sit out here this morning and listen to her play her violin with my wife. And honestly, I look at my kids now and I see them growing older so quickly those of you who have small children enjoy the time with them and i know it's hard bro and i know i'm going back to you but i know eric you guys got what you got how how many is it four four under the age of four Four you got four yeah they're four now you're the twins right and um you know those are those are busy times brother and here you are, you're pastoring a church, you know, you're trying to, trying to do it for the Lord here in Detroit, and you're trying to minister and disciple all these people that are coming to your church, and yet at the same time, you've got four kids at home and a wife, and, and I know the challenge that that is, trying to balance all of those responsibilities and all of those demands, and sometimes you feel like you're the piece of meat in the middle of the piranha bowl, you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Don't you feel like that sometimes? I know, I'm, I mean, I'm with you, I understand that. It's like I need a piece of Eric today. I need a piece. Right? But don't don't wish these years away, bro. Don't wish them away. Don't don't wish those years away when you're up in the middle of the night at two o'clock in the morning with them crying babies and you're like, Am I ever gonna get any sleep? (laughs) Don't wish them away because life is short. It is short. It goes by so quickly. It's here today and it is gone tomorrow. Invest your time for the Lord Jesus Christ in this time that God has for you here on this earth. Give of your heart and your soul and your energy and your money. Give of those things to the Lord's work. You don't want to look back at the end of your life and go, why did I do that? You don't want to stand before the Lord someday and and go, yeah, I know, I, I spent all of my time doing this when I really could have been investing it in this. You, you just don't want to be there. How many of you have ever um, heard of a little book or read this little book written by uh, a guy named John Piper? Any of you ever heard of Dr. John Piper? A few, okay. How many of you have ever read the book called Don't Waste Your Life? Raise your hand real high. Okay, I want to tell you, if you have not read that book, in all seriousness, it is one book, It is a must-read. You need to go out and get that book and read it. It's entitled, Don't Waste Your Life. And basically, Dr. Piper makes a plea to all of us to invest our lives and our resources and our energy, our time, our talents, everything we have, invested for the sake of eternity so that someday we won't look back with regret. We'll be able to say, I did the best I could. No, I didn't do it perfectly. I made some mistakes along the way. Welcome to the club, amen. Amen. All right, that's all of us. We all make mistakes. We've all, we've all wasted time. We've all wasted money. We've all wasted energy doing things that just really weren't necessarily profitable for the sake of eternity. I'm with you on that. There's not one of us in here that hasn't done that. But the wise among us learn from our past mistakes and failings and what do we do? We determine by God's grace to learn from those things and then say, Help me, Lord, to move forward and to do better now. Help me to live in a way that honors you and glorifies you in this. Help me in my choices, see? And guess what God does? God does something for people like that. He pours grace into their lives in in amazing and significant ways. And you experience God in in a way that is deep and profound like you've never experienced Him before. And so... I just want to encourage you in that that there is two sides of the human experience. It's called life and death, and it's a reality that we face. But there's a hope, and that brings me to the last and final thought this morning. Here it is. Life as we know it is not all that there is. There is eternal life. And we find that right here in this text. Life as we know it is not all that there is. The grind that you find yourself in sometimes right how about it sometimes it's just trying to scrape together enough money to pay the bills and it seems like man it, it, the human ra- the, it's a rat race sometimes isn't it it's like a cycle and i'm trying to get together some money i got to pay some bills i got to keep my heat on i got to keep my lights on i got to get these things i got children to take care of i've got a husband to care for and love i've got a wife that needs my time i have bosses and employers who want this from me and man it's like we're in this cage sometimes, but I'm telling you that this, this world, this life as we know it, is not all that there is. It's not. There is something beyond what we see right here, right now. It's eternal life. And in fact, it's really cool. Let's go back to that verse that we all read together. Look at verse 24 where it says, Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Literally, this man never died. God just took him. There are only five references to Enoch in the Bible. Three of them are actually in, re- in regards to genealogy lists, but two of them in the New Testament give us a lot more information about the character of this man and insight into what kind of a man he was, the fact that God took him. And I want to just draw your attention to those if you would. Um, go with me. To the New Testament now for a couple of minutes and then we'll be wrapping it up. But go to the book of Hebrews and find chapter eleven, okay? So all the way back to the back of your Bible. There's a book called Hebrews. Alright, so if you find a little book called Titus, you're almost there. Titus, Philemon, and then Hebrews. So if you look at my Bible, it's like way in the back, okay? A little book called Hebrews. Actually, it's kind of a big book in the New Testament. But find chapter 11 in that book, please. And I want to read some really interesting verses that God has given to us about this man named Enoch. Verse 5, notice what it says. Everybody there with me? You got it? Because I want to wait for you. If you're not there, I I definitely want to wait. I want you to see these. You with me? If you're there, shake your head at me. All right, cool. Real good. All right, look at verse 5. It says, By faith Enoch was taken up, so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So Enoch is described as a man who walked with God. So the question is this, what does it mean to walk with God? Well, we find here in this book, Hebrews, that it says a man who walks with God chooses to trust God. He chooses to walk by faith and not by sight. It begins by trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That is really the first moment or first choice of faith. It's where you and I, we come to that reality that I'm a sinner. I've done things that have offended a holy God and because of that, I cannot get into heaven. I cannot be forgiven of sins on my own. I can't do enough good things. I, I can't be good enough. I can't reform my life. I can't stop doing certain things enough so that God will look favorably on me and let me into heaven. It doesn't work like that. It, it's a matter of faith, friend, of looking to the cross of Jesus Christ and realizing that Jesus died in my place. He was my substitute. Theologians call that the substitutionary atonement. Literally, Jesus in my place, dying for me. He became the blood sacrifice that washes away sin. And so I turn to Christ and I look to the cross and I say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. And Lord, I'm asking you to make me your child. I believe, Lord. Give me the gift of eternal life. That's a moment of life change, friends. It means walking by faith. Walking with Jesus Christ, beginning with salvation and then making steps of faith throughout the Christian life, growing in your relationship with the Lord, walking by faith. Here's a few thoughts of application, what it means to walk by faith as a Christian. You see, walking by faith doesn't begin at salvation and end there. It has to be a life of faith, right? Well, let me break this down for you. What does that mean? Well, here's a couple of examples. Walking by faith for the Christian means that that dishonesty for temporal gain... Am I going to make a choice between dishonesty for temporary gain or integrity for eternal reward? Right. I'm at work, and my boss tells me if you fudge the numbers just a little bit, it will really help our company, and you will get a big fat bonus in the end. Anybody here use a little extra money at the end of the year? Could you? Could you use it? Am I the only one who could use a little extra money at the end of the year? Right. So can you imagine? Listen, bros. Listen. Can you imagine the temptation if your boss comes into you and says to you, I will give you a big fat bonus at the end of the year if you will fudge these numbers on this report because overall it will help the company. Now you instantly have a decision to make in that moment. You can make a temporary choice for the immediate satisfaction of the money or you can be a man or woman of faith who walks by faith and not by sight, and says, you know what? God is watching me. And at the end of the day, I have to stand before God and give an account to Him for my life, so I'm going to be a person of integrity of this moment, and I'm going to choose to obey God and do the right thing and walk by faith in that moment. This is where the rubber meets the road for the Christians. This is what it means truly to walk by faith and not by sight. How about this? Walking by faith and not by sight for the believer, the ongoing walk of faith means that I press into those difficult relationships instead of running away from them. That when the going gets tough in the relationship, I don't run from that relationship, but instead I seek to redeem the relationship by pressing into it for the glory of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to run from my husband. I'm not going to run from my wife. I am not going to leave my children. I am not going to do those things. I am going to press in and be a person of faith, even though it's hard. That's what the believer does who walks by faith, loved ones. How about this? I am not going to. Because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I am not I am not going to give in to lust for immediate gratification, but instead I am going to resist temptation for eternal reward. So when she comes along and you're not married to her and she's like, come on, and she, you know she's just got a thing with you and you just, man, it's so hard for you to resist her. And you've been down this road before and you know that it often leaves you just feeling trashy and guilty. And you wh- But here she comes again. Listen, in that moment, we could flip it around. It could say, here he comes again. And here you are and you want to be loved so much and you want a man's arms around you and you want to feel the protection and the love and the security of that. But, but you know what? God's called you to live a righteous, holy life free of sexual immorality, And so in that moment, for the believer, it is a choice of faith to not give in for immediate gratification, but to say, God is watching me, and I'm going to give an account to Him someday. And so because I want to please the Lord Jesus, I choose to trust God in this matter and to walk by faith and not by sight. We could go on. Some of you are saying, please stop. I do love you, because God loves you. God loves you. How about this? Walking by faith as a believer means that I don't give up on that person or come to believe that they can never change. I will not give up on him. I will not stop praying for her. I will not stop reaching out to them. Why? Because I believe that God's grace is big enough to change anybody. I mean, after all, He's changed you, hasn't He? Is He not in the process of changing you right now? He's changing me. He's changing you. And because of that, we will not give up believing and trusting that God can change people. How about this? I will not... I will not rebel against my husband's leadership. I will, by God's grace, as a wife, choose to submit to his leadership in my life. I will do that by faith, even though it's hard at times. As a husband, I will choose by faith to love my wife as Christ loves the church and gave himself for her. Why? Because I am called to do that. Even when it's hard, I must. If I'm going to walk by faith, I have to make a decision between this. Am I going to sit on the couch all day long wasting my time watching television? Am I going to do that constantly? Or am I going to step up and lead my home towards godliness? Am I going to stop wasting my time on frivolous pursuits? Or am I going to say, you know what, I'm going to do some things for the Lord. A lot of you are single in here. Serve Jesus with your time. Give of, the, give of that Very valuable commodity that you have. Give it to the Lord. It's a beautiful thing. And notice again, back to Hebrews 11, it says that, what, Enoch was taken. He didn't see death. He was not found because God had taken him. Before that he was taken, he was commanded as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Please God, loved ones, walk by faith, not by sight, and then choose to obey God. Not only trust God, but obey Him. One more passage. How am I doing time-wise? What time am I supposed to be done? Talk to me. Am I overtime? I'm done. Am I am I over? What time am I supposed to be done? It says 12:38. 12:40. All right, two minutes, real fast. You a hard man. Hard man, Eric. I love you though. All right, one. No, 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 no. One more passage, and we're going to be done. Jude fourteen. Hey, just a real quick question. Does he go long sometimes? Never. Never. Never, right? Woo! Hey, listen, man. It's hilarious because uh, the last two weeks at Harvest, I went about ten minutes long each service, and our elders are always quick to re- like mention it in the next upcoming elders meeting. So. So are you guys, do you do that with him as well? There's something, like, we just have a hard time stopping sometimes, and I know that's not good. But but um so um my assistant, Mike Moses, is actually speaking at our church uh, back in Westland this morning, and I was, like, on the phone with Mike this week, and I was like, Mike, listen, I'm sorry to do this to you, man, but, bro, the last two weeks I went long, and the elders are really sensitive to that right now, so you've got to be sure you're done by 12 today. You know, you've got to be walking out there. So uh I, I feel you, you know what I'm saying? I feel you. All right. Let's go to Jude, the book of Jude. All right? Did I just use up those two minutes? It's painful. It's painful. All right, hurry. Hurry. Come on. Go to Jude. It's right before It's right before Revelation, all the way in the back. Man, the pressure's on. Jude 14 and 15. It was about that time that these, that Enoch, that the seventh from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold... All right, I'll stop that. All right, here we go. Look at Jude 14 and 15, last passage. Here it is about Enoch. It says, It was about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud mouthed. Yeah, My daughter just broke your clock. Oh, no, it's, fine. it's fine. I was actually telling her, like, break it. So thinking, no. <laughs> all right, here we go. Um, finish up verse 16 with me. They are loudmouth boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. Here's a quick thought. Now we don't, we don't know, we did not know this about Enoch in the Old Testament in Genesis, did we? But Jude, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us this revelation about the things that Enoch was saying to the people of his day. And what was, were these words confrontational? Were they? Yeah, Yeah, it says there that he's saying that, Behold, the Lord came with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. I mean, this is like in your... This guy had an in-your-face ministry. Enoch did. He was speaking the truth to people. And so what this tells us is this, is that if we are going to be a person who walks with God, we must not only choose to walk by faith, but there are times when you and I must, like Enoch, speak the truth, even though it may not be popular. So Enoch was God's messenger. Let's you and I be God's messenger. Let's walk faithfully. So here are the the recap real fast. Number one, reasons for hope in the realities we face. God always raises up someone who will do His will and be His voice. I want you to be that person. Number two, there are two sides of the human experience, life and death. But thirdly, the great thing is that life as we know it is not all that there is. There is eternal life. Enoch was taken by God. He never died. And because of Enoch and others in Scripture like that, we have the hope of the resurrection ourselves. And between now and that time, our responsibility is to live a life of faithfulness, to the Lord Jesus Christ, walking by faith and not by sight. And so therefore, someday when we stand before Jesus, we will, by His grace, hear, well done, good and faithful servant. May it be so. Amen? Amen. All right, brother, I'm turning it back over to you, man. Can we encourage our brother real quick, guys?